Hello, family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4, 23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's Word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the types of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. Typically, I like to have you stand for the reading of the Scripture, but today uh, we're going to let the Scripture be the sermon, and I'm going to try to just pull out nuggets of 14 verses as we move to the Scripture. But before we move to the Scripture, uh, the imagery I want to, to use is, is that of when I remember growing up in, in high school and in junior high. Now, some of you younger ones will have no clue what this is, but I know a lot of folks in this room will. Because a lot of us in this room, we grew up before there were projectors, before there were computers, when the coolest kid on the block had the longest phone cord and the phone was mounted to the wall, right? That 30-foot cord that was all spirally so you could walk in, shut the door, put the cord on the door. But if you were super cool, how many of you had a children's line and your name would go in the phone book? No. I got it for my senior year. That's all I got, my own phone. And then I was gone so much I didn't use it at all. How many of you remember in those days the overhead? You said, go get the overhead projector, right? And they would have the, even then they had the dry erase markers and the overhead projector would be where the teacher would write and it was for us the PowerPoint of the day. It was the manual PowerPoint. And occasionally, if you took that clear sheet that wasn't fully cleaned, there would be residue from the previous work that would cloud the image. And I want to suggest to you that there are times in our faith when we have these residue of previous experiences in life that cloud the image. And it kind of distorted. They want to wipe that clean. They want to look at this text. And as Bonhoeffer says, let's let the text read us as much as we read the text. So here's what you're going to need to do. We're going to pray in a minute. You're going to need to either get your Bible out, get your phone out to follow through on BibleGateway.com or whatever your Bible app is, but we're just going to walk through the text. Let the text read us. Let's pray together. Oh God, in your holy word, you reveal for us your truth. So we pray that you would allow your truth to challenge us where we have become complacent in our walk with Christ. We pray that you would comfort us in places where we still have wounds and scars. We pray that you would inspire us in places where we have become complacent or we're tired of reaching out and trying because we've been burned or we've not seen results or we're struggling. God, help us to know you're in the midst of everything across the spectrum from our deepest hurt to our greatest joy. 
And now may your spirit stand between me and your people so the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together would be shaped, formed, and molded into the good news of the gospel of Christ in whose name we gather, in whose name we pray, and in whose name we will depart this place and seek to serve faithfully. And all of God's people did say, Amen. So our text today is going to come from the first 14 verses of 2 Kings. And we're just going to jump right in the text. And what we'll do is the text will be on the screen and each uh, little what we call pericope, that's the big seminary word for particular passages. Occasionally we dust out those really expensive words that we got in seminary. So now Naaman was a commander of the army of the king Aram. The king of Aram would be to the north. You're going to see in a minute what that is. That would be Ben-Hadad II. So it's Naaman who was a great in the sight of his master, highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. A lot going on just in, just in that one verse. Some things to unpack to begin with. First, it's interesting to note that in the Hebrew text, what we're actually told is that God used a, a non-Hebrew, a non-Jew, a, a Gentile, to actually be his instrument. I mean, it says it right here in the text that because through him being Naaman, the Lord had given victory to Aram. The Jewish people understood this as a, as a season of discipline for their unfaithfulness. And what we know is that, that Naaman is a, is, a, is a valiant soldier. He's a mighty soldier of God, he, but he had leprosy. Leprosy was an incurable disease. I don't think it was accurately diagnosed until actually the 1930s or 40s. And um, there's no real way to understand anything differently than if you had leprosy in, in the biblical times, it was literally a death sentence. You would be ostracized, you would be segregated, and the only way they knew how to treat it was to literally separate people. So from the very beginning of this text, we're seeing this contrast. We see this contrast first that you've got a Gentile recognized as a great leader used by God. You've got on the stage this amazing soldier and you have this concept of leprosy, these things that tend to be sort of conflicting. So uh, what does it look like? Well, verse 2 tells us that bands of raiders from Aram, and Aram is Syria, had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel and she served Naaman's wife. So with the help of Will Cunningham, this is when we think about the geography of the text. What does that look like? Well, uh, that's the current city of Damascus. That hadn't changed. That's in Syria. And the raiders would come from the north. They would come down through, and you can see um, crossing the yellow line, there's actually what looks like a small lake up there. It's called the Hello. It's north of the Sea of Galilee. It's a marsh. It's the major migratory pattern between Africa and Eurasia for a lot of the birds. But they would come from the north and they would raid. Just like last week when we heard about what was happening from the south and east when Gideon was threshing wheat, right? The raiders, the Midianites came from the south and the east. Well, the raiders came from the north and they settled in. So this is roughly in a time period, and you're going to hear reference to Samaria, during the first exile and conquest in around the 720 B.C., um, Syrians came and actually they conquest and the Jews who remained in that area that intermarried became known as the Samaritans. That's why you see the good Samaritan played out in Luke chapter 15. There was a lot of bad blood between the, 
The, the Jews and the Samaritans are the Hatfields and McCoys of the Old Testament. <laughs> That's the easiest way to put it. it. The Samaritans even had their own temple, their own place of worship. So what's fascinating is you're going to see played out on this is we have this young servant girl, this young girl from Israel. So already what we're being told is there is a nameless figure from Israel who's going to be the most important character in this. And it's a young woman. Now, another way to think about that transparency, that overhead that we had, there are what we call messianic foreshadowings. So this isn't talking specifically about Jesus, but there are so many parallels to the way that Jesus' life was played out, right? A young girl, a young maiden, who was betrothed to Joseph. And she becomes a figure that is so central to what God wants to do. You see, God is always using the figures that seem to be lesser in the eyes of the world to do amazing things. It's because of their availability to God. And so this unnamed young girl from Israel, the heroine of the story, she says to her mistress, and that word is translated mistress, it would be her, um, she worked for her. So that's, that's, that has a different meaning for us today, but she works underneath Naaman's wife, and she says, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of leprosy. Now, isn't it fascinating that if there was a lot of tension between the Jews and the Samaritans, that the servant girl who's unnamed actually is making reference to the prophet who's in Samaria. I mean, this text has just got all kinds of twists and turns with it because at the end what you're going to realize is God has got to be in this. He's just got to be in this to, to overcome these barriers and make these amazing things happen. So Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from, um, from Israel had said. Now, isn't that an amazing reference? The girl from Israel. That's almost like a country and western song, right? What the girl from Israel said. So Naaman's going to Ben-Hadad II. He's the mighty warrior, and he approaches his master. He says, look, uh, this is what she said to me, and what does he say? By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, 10 sets of clothing. And the letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. Now, there's another dynamic that is entered to the stage of faith, and that is Ben-Hadad II, king of Aram basically thinks that this is the Old Testament version of, I can buy your health. I can, I can make sure that the king of Israel will heal you. I can send stuff. I mean, this is, this is such a pattern that we fall into today. We may say it differently, but we think if we just invest in the right thing or do the right things, then wholeness will come or healing will come. But there's a twist that happens. Because in verse 7, it says, as soon as the king of Israel reads the letter... And that would be Jehoram. You need to look at 1 Kings chapter 20 and then also in the 2nd and 3rd chapters of 2 Kings to find out who all these individuals are. So the king of Israel reads the letter and he tears his robes. And he says, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See, he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. Jehoram believes 
that this is going to be an act that would instill a justification for Ben-Hadad to once again conquer the people and walk in with warfare. His greatest warrior's needs weren't met, and therefore he can only blame the king of Israel. Now we enter the stage another character. You see why we're having to walk through the text? There's so many twists and so many people here. We have, we have Elisha, the man of God. He succeeded Elijah that you would read in 1 Kings. And he heard the man of God, the king of Israel, had torn his robes, and he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots, and he stopped at the door of Elijah's house. And Elijah sent a messenger to him. Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. Naaman, mighty warrior, valiant warrior, with all his chariots and horses, he went away angry, and he said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure my leprosy. Are not Abana and Fafar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he's turned, he went off in rage. You remember that earlier map? Right next to Damascus are those two rivers. But when healing doesn't come the way that Naaman expects, he reacts in anger. Friends, how often when things don't happen the way that we want, do we question or find ourselves in times of anger. It's a struggle of the faith. In verse 13, now it's Naaman's servants. So it started with a young girl who is not named, who introduced everything to get this whole drama in motion, now extends to Naaman's servants. And the servants go to Naaman and say, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? And so Naaman went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. You know, what's really amazing is there's a country western song that speaks of this God wash me clean in the muddy waters. I think it's Alan Jackson or Trace Atkins. At the place at which Elisha would have been in Samaria, the Jordan River flows and picks up all the sediment. The water would not have been nice and clean like in the waters around Damascus. And yet it is in listening to what the prophet says, faithfulness, that he washes, he's made clean. Who are you in this story? Who are you in this story? Are you someone that needs to hear a word about being faithful to what God is calling? Are you one who is reluctant uh, to, to do what you know in your heart and have heard from others to do, to follow where God leads? Because, your friends, what your decision is on any issue will be determined by what you value. What your decision is on any issue will be determined by what you value. 
When I was growing up in Plano, Texas, um, the Plano Wildcats were a force with which to be reckoned in, in high school football. And there's a gentleman by the name of Pat Thomas who went on to play for um, the Los Angeles Rams, and he actually was a Plano Wildcat. And, um, and then there was this guy that used to wear a derby hat um, not too far from Plano, Tom, uh, what's his name? Landry, right? And there was a large FCA event that happened, and um, being an upper elementary kid, I was aware of who kind of the figures were and the people were, and this football has a signature on it, uh, it right here that says Pat Thomas, and right here that says Tom Landry. It was a prized possession that I had. To have a Tom Landry signed football was amazing. We were in Nocona, Texas, where I was pastor years later. It traveled everywhere I went, and and it sat on a set of bookshelves in the Parsons. You walked into the main seating area, and remember how in transitions between rooms there would be open bookshelves on either side. You could see it sat up there in, in just magnificent display, my pride and my glory with Pat Thomas and Tom Landry. Uh, there's only one problem, and that is that I did not instruct our son, who was then about the same age as I was, that this is not a toy. I was gone for two days of church meetings from Nocona down in the Dallas area. Uh, Micah being bored and couldn't find things reached up on the shelf at some point while I was gone. We had a dog that we were trying to adopt in the backyard that chewed everything that could be chewed. Uh, the ball was played with. The dog was the one to play with. The dog would run with the ball and chew on the ball. Um, it was raining outside, but that didn't keep them from throwing it around. He took it out front. Um, this is the damage that was done in two days in the rain and a 12-year-old. I mean, the ends are just scuffed like crazy. Uh, the, the signatures can barely be made out. They're still there. You got to know what you're looking for. Uh, Jackson, the dog, had a day with the, with the strings. Sean knew what this ball meant to me, and so when I came home, um, I walked through the door, and this was before you could do all the cell phone stuff. You walk through the door, and um, Sean calls to the house, says, Mike, and dad's home, and he comes out, and he's very, you can tell he's, he's been crying. She sits down, tell your dad what happened. You know, I'm thinking, oh gosh, what do you do at school? I mean, did something go wrong? And then my wife walks out with the prized possession. Sets it in his lap. And he says, she says, you tell your dad what happened. And I quote, because <laughs> he just thought it was another ball. And Sean didn't say, no, honey, that, that actually was very, very special to your dad. That's why it was on the shelf. It had people sign on it. And I had a choice to make at that moment. And my choice was either my relationship with my son, to let him know how much I loved him more than any signature of any ball, though I will tell you they all went much higher and behind closed doors after that. But I just got down in front of him. I said, Micah, it's okay. You didn't know. It's okay. 
It's just a ball. And what was a prized possession really is a reminder to me now about what do I value. That's what I want to ask you today. What do you value? What's most important to you? For us, as we think about the story of God's faithfulness, I pray it be the relationship. Do you feel overlooked? Welcome to the party. A young servant girl whom we do not know the name of sets in trajectory something that happens that triggers the mighty prophet of God to connect with a warrior from a foreign country, and God's healing is real. What do you value? That will determine, that will be reflected in every decision that you make. Let's pray together. God, every one of us could move through a whole list of prioritizing decisions we make because of the goals that we have. But what we ask is that you would help us to clearly recognize the value of the relationships around us, the value of uh, who we are as treasured by you and the love of Christ. We pray that your grace would wrap around us and that as we reflect on what you are calling us to be and become, to be made whole, that we won't find ourselves with Naaman spirits which simply say, God, I think I know better than you. But we will fill ourselves with the spirit of one who is obedient and faithful. God, we thank you for your love for us made known in Christ. And we pray that we move from this place in a way that helps others to know of the healing touch of Jesus Christ, in whose name we gather and pray. And now prepare to go serve. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.